0: Uh, so we're in this series called what about and we're talking about the what abouts of faith that for so many of us We've gone through these faith shifts and we've unraveled and our beliefs have shifted in some ways And and maybe we're starting to get a picture of what we think about some things But we're not really and so what often people will do is they'll send me emails or they'll stop me here or They'll they'll send me a text and they'll say hey, what about and then they'll name a topic that usually is Way more than I can do in just a short conversation and so I thought it might be interesting for us to spend some time just going through some of these common questions that I get asked, what about? Um, and, and this is all culminating to Palm Sunday on April 10th. Uh, we're going to do a gathering, and the sermon time is all going to be question response. Now, I, I frame that that way particularly. But it's important. I'm not going to answer any of your questions. Um, I don't answer questions. That's too presumptuous. I respond. And so I'm I'm happy to respond. So we're going to do that live. Um, Some of you have emailed some questions we'll make sure get answered, uh, responded to. Um, But we're going to take questions live in the room. We'll take them um, from the YouTube chat and we'll respond to them in real time. As I said last week, prepare for about a six-hour gathering and you should be good. Bring a lunch. We'll all all be fine. Uh, Today I want to talk about, and this is one that has been particularly Interesting, and it's a topic that gets brought up all the time, not like with people going, let's talk about this, but people just referencing it, and it's prayer. Um, What do we do with prayer? And often the questions around prayer are like, does it work? What does that even mean? Like, does prayer work? Um, Does God intervene based on our requests? Is that how this whole thing works? We ask for it, and then God does something or sometimes doesn't. Um, and and for, for so many of us, God has ceased to be like an old man living in the sky. When we use the word God, we're not referencing that. Um, we're talking about something else. And so when God ceases to be sort of on a throne in the sky, and we understand this sort of this, we live, move, and exist in God, right? God is this energy pulsing through everything. Like, what does, how do we interact with that? What does prayer mean uh, in, in that sort of framework and so I want to begin with just some of the things we say about prayer things I've said about prayer things you've probably said about prayer or heard somebody say about prayer things that if we're not paying Attention we might slip into again because it's just so a natural part of the way we talk about it And one of the first ones is like prayer changes things How many of you have ever prayed and nothing changed? It seems like the bulk um, Right, so if prayer changes things we need to ask the question how right? Um, We need to lift them up in prayer. Like if you're a literalist, you just have this image of somebody coming over and grabbing someone and hoisting them up, right? Like we're praying for them. What does it mean to lift somebody up in prayer? We talk about thoughts and prayers all the time. And sometimes it's genuine, but usually it's an excuse for inaction, right? So we say, oh, thoughts and prayers, which sort of, does that get us out of having to take any responsibility for anything happening in the world if we're thinking and praying about it? Um, One of my favorites is we need everybody praying. I mean everybody. <laughs> Seven billion people, we need them all. Because built into that is this idea, I guess, that God somehow has a quota. And that it, God is like watching, and there's a prayer meter, and it's filling up, and you fell three short. And so God's like, this is like change.org. If you don't get enough signatures, <laughs> this ain't going anywhere. Is that what prayer is? Like we're trying to get God's attention by getting enough people to ask for the thing? And then what if somebody's like, like, I'll show them. I'm going to pray the opposite. And so is there another meter, like, where they're filling up? Like, it's just an interesting way to talk about it. I think sometimes we, we kind of think prayer works like, for God, like an encore at the end of a concert. How many of you have ever gone to a concert, and then they, the band disappears for like a half a second? And you clap, and they come back out. Has anybody ever experienced that? Has anybody ever just wanted to say, what are we doing? We know you're coming back. Let's save us all the time. Just play the songs now, right? It's this sort of old tradition that does, is that what prayer is like? We're trying to get God, 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 we love you. We love you. Will you come back out and do the thing we need you? To? Will you bippity boppity boo this for us because we really need you to. And so we'll, we'll clap and we'll sing and we'll shout and we'll pray and we'll, we'll call you every positive adjective in the book if you just do the thing we need you to do. We often tell people, I pray about it. I'll pray about it. And what that often means is they're going to tell you no but they want to let God disappoint you, not them. Does anybody ever use that as an excuse? Let's just be honest. Anybody use that as an excuse? I'm going to pray about it. You're not going to pray about it. You're going to tell them what well, God told me. No, it's just not the right time for me to do that. No, that's not exactly what happened. You're copping out, and you just want God to be the fall person. Um, often heard it said God always answers with a yes or a no, but then Garth Brooks enters the chat, and he's like, some of God's greatest gifts are actually unanswered prayers. Um, so like, how does that whole thing work? Is, is an unanswered prayer actually just a no? What, how does that work? Um, how many of you were ever a part of a, and this is going to, this is going to date me a little bit because I call it something else now, but how many of you were ever part of a prayer chain? Okay. Real talk. 90% of the people doing that were just in it for the gossip. Like, do you know, do you know what happened to so-and-so? We're praying for him. It's just a way to get it out to more people quicker. Now we have Facebook. Um, have you ever been at a sporting event and somebody prays? I've been that person. <laughs> like, I'll just tell you. So I used to do high school football radio. I was like the commentator. Um, there was a play-by-play person. That, and so we would do this, and they, they knew I was a pastor. I was a heretic in town, so I didn't get asked often. But when nobody else would show up, they'd be like, hey, will you, uh, will you do the pregame prayer? And... Somewhere inside of me, a part of me just went, crawled away, shriveled up, and died. Because it is the worst. What do you pray for at a sporting event? God, may we smite our enemies with the holy fire and terror of you. Like, what do you pray for? God, let us win. We know you really like us better anyway. Like, don't let anybody get hurt. Why are we doing this? And then there's this verse that people often throw around when they talk about prayer. It's 1 Thessalonians five seventeen. Two words in this translation. Pray continually. Who's mastered that? <laughs> pray continue. Is this literally, is Paul saying, uh, and this is probably the earliest letter of Paul we have. right? the first written in the early 50s. Is he really saying 24 seven, 365, no breaks, always be praying. And I was really fortunate when I learned you could pray with your eyes open. It it feels weird, though, doesn't it? I mean, people, you're you're in a room and somebody's staring at you, but they're talking, and they're not talking to you. (laughs) It's a little odd, but it helps when you're driving, if you're trying to pray, to just keep your eyes open. And and what I've really kind of concluded about this is I think prayer has a God-sized problem. And and I think the problem with prayer is, is that once you begin to press some of the ways we've been taught to think about it, it really creates more problems for God than it solves. Because, why does God intervene sometimes but not others? Why doesn't God intervene when it really counts sometimes? One of my earliest memories is our entire church praying for this family and their children, and then something terrible happened anyway, and watching an entire church of people process. And of course, then what happens is when it doesn't happen, we can't blame God. So, it has to be us. We didn't have enough faith. We didn't get enough people praying. If we'd had more people praying, God might have done the thing we were begging God to do the entire time. It just seems kind of arbitrary, doesn't it? Like like sometimes really bad things happen to really wonderful people. And sometimes really wonderful things happen to people who are kind of not that great. Why does that happen? And I've just become aware of the unintended pain we cause so often when we talk about prayer and how something happened and it was a God thing, and it was something maybe just kind of trivial, when there are people hearing this. I think about this because it's happened in our family that people have experienced deep, profound loss, right? A loss they prayed would never happen, but then somebody else got a front row parking spot at Walmart and it's a God thing, because it was raining and God doesn't want us to get wet. And it's not intentional, we're not going around like, hey, you know all the people who have had some bad things happen, let's go around and tell them how great our trivial little stuff is so they'll feel even worse. That's not what we're doing, of course. But I do think we have to become aware of how our theology is impacting people who um, just don't fit within our theology because our theology makes no space for, did all the right things, I filled out all the right forms in triplicate, I did everything I could possibly do, and the, the bad things still happened. God didn't come through for me the way I was told God would come through for me if I prayed, if I believed. And then just more shame. I, it must have been me. I didn't pray enough. I didn't believe enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't. And in, in, in what we need in this world is less shame, not more of it. And so with all that in mind, like I'm just spinning the first part of the sermon trashing prayer. Like that's, that's, that's just what I'm doing. But with all that in mind, with all of the problems, with the God-sized problems I think prayer has, I still believe prayer is or could be a helpful and transformative practice, especially in the kind of days we're living in. I really think it can. And so I just want to share a few ways I think prayer can still be meaningful. And I want to begin with this. Prayer can be a way to name and be present to our feelings and longings. Um, I I don't know about you. I I wasn't really taught how to be present to my feelings. I wasn't really taught what to do with the things I was hoping for that was just never taught. Um, And and so I think prayer can actually be a way for us to get in touch and tap into the things that maybe we don't even know about that are existing in the subconscious. Because prayer can look like lots of things. You ever read one of the Psalms? That's the songbook of the Bible. But they're actually, most often, they're prayers. They're they're prayers people wrote down that would eventually be sung and expressed. They're prayers that people wrote down that eventually begin to speak People, people felt, like that, that speaks for me too. That, that taps into my longing. That taps into what I'm looking for. And so people would begin to sing it together. I'll never forget being in seminary. and um, In the, this one class, we had to do a devotion before every class. Somebody had to lead something. And one day this, this person gets up and he's talking about his experience. And he had this great line. Because I was raised, like if it was a pre-written prayer by somebody else, you can't use that. That's like, that's like not trying. The only prayers that count are the ones you pray spontaneously, where you just repeat the same phrase over and over again, like, Father God, I just, or uh, God, we just love you, God. And like, I'm pretty sure God knows God's name. Like, you don't have to keep dropping it, right? But so we were, that's the only kind of prayers I know how to pray. But this person gets up and says, there was a period of time in my life when I just couldn't pray. I was like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, all the time, it feels like. And he's like, so I decided to let the church pray for me. And then he, he shared some, Historic Christian Prayers. And it was just this really profound moment where somebody who lived way back in time, their words were still giving life and hope and naming the longings of a person 2,000 years into the future. That's a pretty powerful thing. That's what the Psalms do. And by the way, if you've ever read any of, like often, like people put the nice Psalms on like art for you to hang in your house. There are some Psalms that get an R rating. Rating. I mean, like, for example, one of the Psalms begins like this By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps when our captors asked us to sing the songs of Zion. Essentially, they have lost their home. They have lost their temple. They have been taken from their land. They're in another place. And the people who have done this to them are saying, oh, sing us those fun little religious songs you used to sing back in the temple. And they're like, how can we sing the songs of God in another place, in another land? And so they they, they hang their harps. It's a way of saying we're just kind of giving it up. And that's so profound and beautiful. Do you know how that psalm ends? happier those who dash their babies' heads against the rocks. Like, we want to take our enemy's children and kill them all. (laughs) When you get to that point, there's an audible record scratch. (laughs) Like, it's a swerve you didn't see coming because it starts out so movingly beautiful. But that's, there's actually, I I, I actually think when the Psalms record things like that, um, that was somebody's prayer that other people were like, that speaks for me and to me. And so they begin to share it. Often that kind of stuff in the Bible, which we cringe at, and of course there are things like that to cringe at, but actually it's people just processing their pain. It's people wrestling through what they feel. And I, I bet, I don't know how many of you like keep a journal or whatever, but if you do, have you ever written something and think, I should burn that now just in case something happens to me and nobody ever reads this? Right? There is a place for you to express your pain, unfiltered, raw, unvarnished. I think that's what prayer kind of gets to be. It's a place where we can begin to tap into, what do I really think and feel? What kind of, am, I, am I feeling rage right now? Okay, let me, let me process that. Am, am I feeling a sense of despair and hopelessness? Okay, let me think about that let me write now that's why I think journal like writing out prayers is really really helpful because it just gives you a way to sort of like see on paper what you're actually thinking feeling the second thing I think prayer can be a way of centering and it can be a source of strength for us because sometimes it's just about the pause it's just about the pause um we have experienced a couple of those over the past few years, haven't we? Where life, like all of my Facebook memories right now are making the announcement in March of 2020 that we were suspending in-person gatherings. Uh, and it's, it's great, I, I said in the announcement, we'll be back in time for Easter. <laughs> like maybe 2022, uh, not 2020. But there was this moment and, and there were so many terrible things, so many terrible things that this pandemic has brought. We've lost so many human beings and other human beings who we thought we knew were revealed to be somebody we didn't think they were, right? And yet, one of the things I've learned is it's okay to name the gifts. Because there have been moments of gift during this. I got to spend time with my kids, for example, that I'll never get that kind of time with them again. And in the moment, there were times when I was not as grateful, for all that quality time. But looking back on it, I got to watch them grow every single day. I didn't have a meeting to go to. I had nowhere to be except at the house with them, watching them do their thing. There was something about having a pause, I think that's part of what the church calendar's for, right, like seasons, like right now is the season of Lent or the season of Advent. They're about giving us really intentional ways to think about specifics, to pause. That's what the Sabbath is, right? The Sabbath is this gift that was given to the Jewish people as a way of saying, look, six days, you'll do all the things. But on the seventh day, this is a day of rest. It's a day of recharging. It's a day of celebrating. It's a day of remembering that you are not ultimately what you produce. You are something more than, you are a human being made in the image of God. And nothing that you do or don't do, nothing that you get done or don't get done will affect that truth. And so there's something about the pause. There's this great line in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus has been just, he heals one of his disciples' mother-in-law, and then all these people start coming to him. And like it's sundown, he's healing people. He's driving out unclean, evil spirits. He's doing all the things. And the next day, the text says this, early in the morning, well before sunrise, um, I think that's a mistranslation. I just don't like to think Jesus is a morning person because that puts more pressure on me and I don't like mornings. Uh, Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Like he's been expending the energy. And you know what this is like. Sometimes life moves so fast and so quickly that you can't even, you're almost moving like on muscle memory. Right, you're, It's just all happening so fast And you're just putting out one fire And dealing with the next thing And going to the next thing And doing the next thing And making sure everything is And then at the end of the day You collapse And you wake up in the morning And you start doing all the things again And Jesus has been doing all the things And it's like he takes a moment Just to go out And to pause And it's great When he comes back His disciples are like Everybody's been looking for you They like the thing you're doing We should set up a deal Right Like, we'll have people come in, you can Benny Hinn them, and then we will send them back out. This could be a thing. And you know what Jesus says? No, no, what I've discerned is that there are more people than just these people who need what I'm doing. I have a message that's larger than this one particular place. Or building a particular platform or movement around me. We have to go. It's like, he got clarity. Because I'm sure there was a draw, like, they like me, they really like me. And he says, No, actually, what I've learned is I think my work is to keep moving. And he, he gets that wisdom that comes to him in prayer. And I don't think prayer has to be a specific thing. I think that's where we get messed up. I don't think prayer is this always. Sometimes it can just be thinking. Sometimes it can be writing. Sometimes it can be singing. Sometimes it can be shaking your fist and cursing at the sky. Prayer can be lots in lots of different things. The most important thing is that it's kind of authentic, right? It's a thing you're not doing to get points. It's a thing you're doing because it relieves something. It opens something up. I love these words from Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, in her poem, Praying. She says, It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or just a few small stones. Just pay attention, then patch a few words together, and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Actually, I think prayer is less about the words and more about just sort of the space. It's about the pause. And if you're like, I don't really like the word prayer, then we'll call it whatever you want. Call it meditation, call it taking a break, call it venting, call it whatever you want. But having a regular practice in your life where you're able to just maybe put put some words to what you're thinking and feeling and then just create some space to just listen. And whether that voice you think you're listening for is outside of you or it comes from within you, having that space is, is what enables you to begin to hear it. And sometimes the voice you'll hear is like the actual, your actual voice, the voice that is speaking to you beyond all the shoulds and all the expectations and all the, I failed here and I should have done better. It's the voice that's actually, you know, this is who you really are. And this is the work you've really been given. And this is what you've been placed in this world. This is the gift you've been given to give the world. And I think that space really matters. Last, I think prayer can be an act of love and solidarity that creates an awareness in us. You know, when somebody asks me to pray for them and I say, I'll do it, I actually try to do it. And one of my favorite scholars, Marcus Borg, said, he said, I don't really, this is paraphrased, I don't believe God intervenes in the world. There are way too many things, like, why would, if we're going to say God intervenes, then God's got a lot of explaining to do, right? If God comes and does this thing but doesn't do this other thing, like, we have have a potential genocide happening in the world right now in in Ukraine. Why? If God's going to intervene, like, now's the time, let's fix this. So he says, I don't think God does that. But when I, pr- I still pray for people, he said. Because that's what love asks me to do. And because I don't know. <laughs> right? Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But I know that love invites me to pray for them. And hopefully when I pray for them, that does something in me. And it creates an awareness in me that might make me live differently. might make me engage with them differently. I actually think a request for prayer is ultimately a request to be seen and to find solidarity, right? When somebody brings up something, I don't think they're actually saying, okay, I want you to go into your closet at home and just get down and pray for 12 hours. I think what they're saying is, I want you to know that I'm going through a thing, and I need you to see me, and I need to know that I have people with me as I'm going through it. I need to know that I'm not alone. The first not good in the entirety of the Bible was a human being solo. I need to know that I am not alone. Alone in this, if, I've told this story, and we'll tell it, and probably until I hang up, whatever you hang up when you get done with a, a life of preaching. But and so, if you've heard this story before, I'm sorry, but there are people who haven't, so I'll tell it anyway. When our son Cohen was probably about two years old, I think two years old, um, he he'd gotten really sick, and he he'd had this fever that just was was just we couldn't we couldn't manage it. He had some kind of virus. And we couldn't manage the fever. And it was like, no matter, what we, no matter how much ibuprofen, no matter how much Tylenol, it just kept climbing. And so we decided, it was a Sunday, I'd finished church, and we decided when I got home, we would take him to urgent care. We'd get to urgent care, and we'd get in the lobby, and we're filling out paperwork. And Carla's holding him, and he's roasting. She's holding him against her chest, and he just sits up and looks at her. And in that moment, we realized, oh, he's having a seizure. Um, we have no idea what's going on. And so I immediately get up and go yell, like, hey, he's, he's starting to have a seizure. And they come and get him, and they bring him in. And somebody says, hey, where's the crash cart? And I was like, what? They're like, oh, no, we just need some supplies. I was like, then don't call it the crash cart. <laughs> call it the supply cart. It doesn't panic parents as much. And so they come in, and they, they treat him, and we find out he has this, it's called a febrile seizure, which is just what, what happens when, in small children when their temperature goes up too quick. Um, it's a thing that can happen. But in that moment when we didn't know what was going on and they were treating him, and we were, I was standing in the hallway, frantic, already my faith had already shifted around prayer. You better believe I was telling people, would you please pray for our son? Which I think was me saying, not so much. Like, would you please ask the, the big genie in the sky to pop down and do a thing? It was, I, I, I need you to know that I'm freaking out and I need to know we have people. That, that's what prayer is. And so let's be very careful in our, you know, as we, as we deconstruct our faith and we're changing it. Let, let's be very careful not to, to listen to people say, would you pray for me? And go, oh my gosh, they still haven't deconstructed that yet. Can you believe they're going around asking people to pray for them? Maybe what they're saying is, will you see me? Will you be with me? Do you have my back? Do, do you, just do you know? I think that's actually the request. And I think that for prayer, amen isn't the end of the prayer. It's actually when it begins. John Dominic Crossan uh, says, "If, if you imagine God with the metaphor of a person, because, by the way, the only way we can talk about God is through metaphor. Do we understand this? Like, there is no objective way to talk about God. It's all through metaphor. Well, God is like. That's the best you can do. Because the minute you put something in concrete, you can guarantee you've missed it. God, if you imagine God with a metaphor of a person, prayer means speaking with a person. But if you imagine God with a metaphor of a process, prayer means acting collaboratively with that process. See, here's the thing, I think, the point of prayer. The point of prayer isn't to just say things. The point of prayer is to then go and do a certain thing in the world. So I'd put it like this. Does prayer work? Does it change things? Actually, uh, prayer changes us, maybe, and then we change things. Prayer changes us, that time naming our longings, that time being present to what we're feeling and thinking, that pause that gives us a moment to center ourselves, that remembrance of hearing, oh, that, that family's going through a really hard time. Maybe we should call DoorDash and send them food. Maybe there's right, the, this thing that, oh, yes, I'm remembering them. And by remembering them, maybe that will become not just a platitude, but maybe it will become actual hands and feet doing things in the world to let them know we see you, we're with you. You're not doing this alone. I think about some of the big challenges we face in the world right now, like climate change. Is prayer going to solve climate change? No, no, no. But if prayer enables us to see ourselves as God's co-creators in the world and people who have been given responsibility for this beautiful world that we live in, then maybe Maybe prayer can change us, and then maybe we can combat climate change. Is prayer going to stop the problem of gun violence in our country? No, there have been thoughts and prayers in this forever, and it's still happening. But maybe as we pray, and as we think about these families who have lost people far too soon over senseless, ridiculous acts of violence, maybe we'll be willing to pick up the telephone and call some people who actually can change things the people we send to Washington DC and say to them what's happening in this country is unacceptable maybe if we pray prayer will change us and we will change things will prayer change bigotry and bias and white supremacy not on its own no but if prayer changes me and if in that inventory, if in that moment of reflection, I realize there's something in me that needs work. Or if in that moment of reflection, I hear a story about somebody else, and I say, that's just not okay that this is the world we live in, then maybe I'll use my voice, and maybe I'll show up for a march, and maybe I'll put my something that I have on the line, and maybe that will begin to change things. I mean, you think about about all the marches that have happened um, as a result of really the last several years, but I'm thinking particularly of George Floyd's murder. That was prayer. That, That was people in the streets naming a longing, naming a problem in the world, and they were marching and raising their voice to draw awareness to it. I think if prayer doesn't lead us there, then it is probably an empty ritual. I think if prayer doesn't cause us to actually do something in the world, it calls to action in the world. And I think that's what prayer was for Jesus. All right, Jesus spent some time in prayer, and he's like, all right, it's time to go. we got more work to do. And I think that as we gather as a community, if this entire gathering in some ways is like a prayer, where we're seeking to name longings, we're, we're seeking to be present to one another, then maybe what happens in this room in, in, online is not as important as what happens when we leave this room, when we log off online. Maybe what actually, maybe what makes prayer actually be the thing is like amen is like, it's like the gun at the beginning of the race, and then you go. It's not the thing You're like, whew, I got my time in today. God must be proud of me. That front row spot at Walmart is going to be Choice. No, no, no. Prayer is something way more than that. Let's pray.